And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those who, from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So this is a practical demonstration working out in daily life of what grace is. So notice who he's talking to. Uh, Many times throughout his teaching ministry, Jesus used this phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear. So we've got ears, but just having ears doesn't mean that we have an ear to hear. Ear to hear, let him hear, is a person who is willing to receive the teaching And not just to agree with it in your mind, but act on it. In other words, live it out. So those who receive the teachings of Christ and put them into practice are people who have really had ears to hear. And God is looking for people like that. Uh, We all listen. Some good, some bad. But we all listen. But it's what we hear that's important. And what we hear, the word hear and obey, comes from the same root. To hear and to obey come from the same root word in Greek. So he's looking for people who are going to do more than just listen to the words, but people who are going to put them into practice in their daily life. And so Jesus is speaking here, starting with verse 27, I tell you who hear me. So he's talking to people who have heard what he says, people that are wanting to put in practice what God has told them. He's looking for people like us people who are wanting to do to live our lives in ways that are pleasing to God, in obedience to Him. And so he says, us, we're the ones he's talking to. And this is what he says. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Paul talks about this very same thing in Romans chapter 12, verse 4. And then he gives his testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. So in chapter 4 of Romans, uh, chapter 12 of Romans, he's been talking about committing our bodies to the Lord and renewing our minds. And then he talks about what that looks like. Romans chapter 12. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us, and he goes on and he talks about that. And in verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
And so Paul is saying basically the same thing that Jesus said. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he tells part of his own personal testimony, starting with verse 12. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. And yet, it's those very people who turn the world upside down because they did do this. Jesus on the cross, as our young people were telling us a while ago, um, Jesus did what he was instructing us to do. He prayed for those who were persecuting him. Um, and it's important how we respond with our words because uh, later on in Luke chapter 6, starting with um, verse 45, Jesus says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So by our response, by our words that we speak to others when we are cursed or when we are slandered or when we are persecuted, our words is an indication of what's going on in our heart. It's a testimony. It's a witness. You're telling people, this is what is in me. So I want us to think about it as Christian people. Do we want to proclaim cursing that's in our heart? Or do we want to play, proclaim the blessing that we have received from God? It's what's coming out of our mouth. What's coming out of the mouth is what's inside. Peter makes it a little more personal in 1 Peter chapter 2. And he's using this very example of Jesus' persecution. Starting with verse 21. Well, we'll back up to verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 19. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, that is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. And so he's telling us that that's the example. That's the standard that Christ himself set for us. And he died on the cross to make it a real genuine possibility for you and for me. So I want us to look here um, at what we mean by grace. What do you all think? What do we mean by grace? We say the, when we say grace before our food... <laughs> We're asking God to bless it, but we've received grace from God, we've received blessing, but what does the word grace actually mean? Mercy when we don't deserve it. 
mercy when we don't deserve it. Okay? What else? Forgiveness is part of it. Unmerited favor. It's all from this side. Okay. Yeah. That you you want to retaliate, but the grace comes on you, and you're able to act in a way that you just... He enables you. Right, exactly right. Okay, so grace... I always thought my thing was to remember it like this. Grace is getting something you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting something you deserve. There you go. That's a good definition. So grace is unmerited. That means undeserved, unearned favor. No strings attached. And it's freely given. So an act done with any expectation of a return, or which is given as a matter of justice, recompense, or reward, is not an act of grace. Are you with me on this? So grace is an act done without any expectation of a return of any kind. It's a gift freely given. So when it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, unmerited, undeserved, unlooked for faith, uh, grace, God just gave it to him. When the angel spoke to, to Mary and began to tell her that she was going to be the mother of our Savior, he says, you who are highly favored, you who are endowed with grace, undeserved, unmerited favor freely given. Now with that in mind, I want us to look at Luke chapter 6, verse 32. And there's a better translation. If you love those who love you, literally what it says is, if you love those who love you, what grace is there? You don't have to have grace to love somebody who loves you. There's no gift involved, is it? And oftentimes we love other people because we are expecting for that love to be returned. That's not grace. Nothing wrong with it, but it's, it's just not grace. So the question is, if you love those who love you, what grace is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what grace is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those for, from whom you expect repayment, what grace is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. So the message, the content here, it's talking to us about grace. And what I want to ask us as God's people, as God's children, people who are hearing what he says, what grace is there in your life and mine? What grace is in your life and mine as Christian people? Giving without any expectation of return <coughs> of any kind. No manipulation, no strings attached. No, I'm going to do this for you and hope that you'll do this for me. None of that. That's not grace. That's something else. So I ask us as God's children today, what grace 
is in your life and in mine. Freely given, without expectation or strings of any kind. Now, people may be grateful. They may do those things, but that's not the purpose and that's not the reason. And you're not disappointed if it doesn't happen because grace, it's really given. When I read this and I got to thinking about it, I got to thinking, I'm pretty manipulative. <laughs> Napoleon Bonaparte was honest, in, at least in this one statement. He said, I like men that are useful to me, and only as long as they're useful to me. And he was willing to make them cannon fodder if it suited his, his, his plans and purposes. He didn't care, as long as they were accomplishing for him what he wanted. And I thought, well, that's a pretty arrogant, self-centered kind of thing. And then I stopped and I thought, I said, he's kind of like me. <laughs> so I'm asking myself with you this morning, what grace is in my life? What grace is in your life? No expectations, no preconceived ideas, no manipulating to get your way. So he says, if we only love those who love us, there's no grace there. Even sinners do that. Sinners being people who, who have no living relationship with God at all. And if we only do good to those who are good to us, there's no grace in that. And if we only give with expectations to get back, no grace there. It's in this context that he talks about loving our enemies. Because loving our enemies... They're probably going to take what you give them and still be your enemies. And they're not going to be given back to you what you give to them in the way that you want. And so he's talking here about acting toward them the way God acted toward you and toward me. So this is God's grace. And this is the ministry of Jesus. In John chapter 1, John is writing, he's telling us in chapter 1 who Jesus is before he tells us about his life so that we'll know how to interpret what he did. And what he says in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus came as the expression of God's grace with no expectation of any return. And it's in, only in the fullness of that grace that we begin to understand what truth is. Once we've received grace, then we're in the position to know the truth. And what Jesus came is he came full of grace, God giving himself so that we would begin to discover the truth about the nature and character of God. Because we missed it. 
He continues, from the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Anybody here who has not been blessed by God? Anybody? Not one. He says we've all been recipients of God's grace. Why do we find it so hard to allow that same grace to people we don't like? I'm willing to receive it, but I don't want to give it. This was Jonah's problem, wasn't it? He was willing to receive forgiveness and God's grace and a second chance when he was in the belly of the, of the fish. And he was gratefully receiving that grace and a fresh opportunity to do what God had called him to do. But his heart hadn't changed and he still had that bitterness and hatred toward the Assyrians and he didn't want them saved. He didn't want them to respond. He was willing to receive that grace but he wasn't willing to give it because he didn't like those people. And he was a prophet. He's like us. Yeah. Yes. I deserve it. Yeah, and, and some people are in bad shape have a hard time being forgiven because they can't receive God's forgiveness without thinking they have to do something. That's it. And once we really understand we didn't do anything ever, and we were able to receive God's grace, then it's that's why the, easy to get it. That's why the grace has to come before we see the truth. And it's it. Uh, people think it's too easy. But it's not easy for God, was it? Nailed. Through his hands and through his feet. That's the cost of your grace and mine. It's not cheap and it's not easy. But it's a gift freely given. And so if we're willing to receive, we ought to be willing to share that grace with the people that we have a hard time with. So John continues and he says... No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. For the law was given through Moses. And what Philip was talking about, anybody who's living that way is not under grace, they're living under law. If I have to do something, or if I have to earn something, that's not grace. That's not grace. If we're living that way, as far as we're concerned, Christ died for nothing. Because we're still living under law. It's a, a gift. And if a gift is freely given, you can only receive it or reject it. And that's all you can do. If you ignore it, you reject it, aren't you? Why don't you have this gift? Here, take this gift. I'm rejecting that gift. I'm not receiving it. Now, it's interesting, in Hebrews chapter 12... Writing to the church, the writer to Hebrews says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. That's God's grace. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Uh -huh. See to it. You see to it. 
That's what he's saying. You see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You in the church, make sure no one misses the grace of God. How are they going to not miss it? Only if we show it to them. If we don't show it to them, chances are they'll miss it. But it's grace, the grace of God, that's freely given, no strings attached, no manipulation. You're just giving it the way God has given it to us. There are many passages of Scripture here. I want us to look real quickly at Romans chapter 5. And as we're, as we're doing that, uh, keep in mind, you remember in John 15, this is where Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm not calling you servants anymore, I'm calling you friends, because I want you to know what I'm doing, and I want you to be able to participate with me in what I'm doing. And then he makes this statement, it's a powerful statement, in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now Jesus is going to do that. The disciples are his friends. He is literally going to lay down his life for them. They have an opportunity to experience that grace themselves in the garden. And they all failed. They all ran away. Um, They tried to fight, some of them. And when he found out that grace has nothing to do with fighting, then they didn't know what to do. Now, grace is not an abstract principle. It's an active, personal principle that expresses itself in our dealings with others. Grace is a practical, personal principle expressing itself in our dealings with others. We can talk about grace all we want to, but until we actually put it into practice in our life, it's just words. Grace is more than an idea. It's a way of life. It's a way of being. So Jesus says, greater love than this has no man that he laid down his life for his friends. But let's look in chapter 5 of Romans. Starting with verse 6. You see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, and Greg is right, we don't have that within us. None of us do. None of us are gracious people. In the Old Testament, the adverb gracious is used only of God in the Old Testament. So he says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. They didn't die for the righteous, huh? Because none of us are righteous in and of ourselves. It's a gift. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's grace. Now he gets more specific Uh, 
You know, we can kind of hide behind this word sinners. But he continues his discussion here. He says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, that's what the word sinner means, enemy of God. When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we, have, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So when Jesus asks us in Luke 6 to love our enemies, he's asking us to live like him. We're asking us to do to other people what he has done to us. He told the disciples, freely you've received, freely give. And so that's why he calls us to live in that way. Now you can't give what you don't have. And you have to receive it first in order to know the truth about who he is and the power of Christ in us. So I want to ask us this morning, have you and have I attempted to bring all the pains and puzzles and tragedies of your own life into the searching, amazing, loving light of the cross? Have you attempted to bring the pains and puzzles and tragedies of your own life into the light of the cross? Have you received the grace of God to help you receive forgiveness? To help you dig up the roots of bitterness? Um, we say the words often, especially uh, we're looking towards, towards Christmas and Easter coming up um, down the road. And we talk about Jesus bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. We say that, but we like to hang on to them. He's carried my griefs, then why am I still grieving? He's borne our sorrows, then why am I still sorrowful? He's brought forgiveness, and why can't I forgive myself and release those around me? So on the cross, we see what grace is all about. And he invites us to share in that. Those who hear, Jesus says, those who hear me, this is what I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Then your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High because... He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Otherwise, Christ never would have come. So he says to us, you and me, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your grace expressed through your Son, Jesus Christ, made available to empower us through the infilling of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that as your children, as your people, that our hearts would be open to receive that grace. That having received it and experienced that grace in our own hearts, that you would create space that we can offer that grace to those around us without expectation of any kind, freely given because we freely received, that we might truly be your children. In Jesus' name. So, again, grace is not something that we can determine to go out and do. That's law. That's not grace. You can't grit your teeth and say, I hate that guy, but I'm going to be nice to him anyway. That's law. That's not grace. So, God's calling us to say that person is a person that God created. That person is a person that Christ died for. And we love him for that reason. Like Christ loved us. While we were still enemies. Laying down his life for you and for me. And he calls us to lay down our lives for each other. That's what grace is all about. So we're... Getting ready to go into our communion service. And the whole point of all of this is that grace is only there because of what Christ has done for us. Grace is only something that we can receive and pass on. It doesn't come from us, and hopefully it doesn't stop with us. So Christ has set the example for us. He's called us to participate. He's called us to be his followers. You remember a man in the Old Testament by the name of Joseph? Remember him? He was uh, Jacob's favorite son, number 11 son, but Jacob liked him better than he liked all the others. And he made let everybody know it, caused trouble for Jacob, caused trouble for Joseph. And Joseph, you remember, by his own brothers, was thrown into a, a well, and they were going to leave him to die there. But a caravan came by, so they decided, we can make a little money on this, as well as get rid of our brother. So they sold him as a slave. He ends up in Egypt, and God was with him, watching over him. He got bought by a high official in, the, in Pharaoh's government. And so he's... Because of his gifts and abilities, God was blessing him and watching over him, and he became the head steward of all this man's property, everything. He turned it all over to Joseph, and Joseph did well. Well, he got uh, accused of a crime which he didn't commit, a sexual crime which he didn't commit. And he got thrown in prison, an innocent man, and he was in there for many years. And he hadn't done anything wrong. And God was with him in the prison. 
didn't keep him from being sold as a slave, didn't keep him from being falsely accused, didn't, didn't keep him from being put in prison for many years. But he was with him. While he was there, you remember the story, is that two of the other Pharaoh's servants got in trouble, Chief Baker and the Chief uh, Cupbearer, and they had dreams and they didn't know what they meant and they were disturbed and troubled. And their jailer, Joseph, uh, was a kindly man and he said, well, dreams and interpretations belong to God. I, you know, let's talk about it. Well, your dreams. And so he correctly interpreted both of his dreams. And what he says to the chief uh, cupbearer is this. This is... He says to him, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So he says to the man, okay, I, I've told you, and it's coming to pass, and it's, but when it happens, it hadn't even happened yet. They're still in prison. But Joseph is so, concern, so certain that God had given him the interpretation. He says, when you get out, remember me here. And the man got out. And what did he do? He promptly forgot him. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Joseph still languishing in his prison for two more years. There's another man who has to be remembered in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. They were thieves. Actually, they were more than thieves. Normally, you don't crucify thieves. You crucify terrorists. These men were, were people who fly airplanes in the buildings. That's who these guys were, the two men that were crucified with Jesus. And while they're crucified, being there, both of these men are cursing and railing and mocking Jesus like all the crowd. But in the midst of that, one of them has a change of heart. Even as he's dying on the cross, there's the grace of God available for him. And so in his pain and agony, as he's hanging on the cross with Jesus, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. When we observe communion, Paul tells us that um, he received this from the Lord. And what he says was, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. I want to know as Christian people, do we remember him the way Jesus remembers us? Or do we remember him the way the cup never does? Well, you remember me and got me out of the fix I'm in. I appreciate that so much. Out of outside, out of mind. And so we come and we remember the Lord here while we're here this morning. And then tomorrow, we're on our own. Forget all about him. Forget about grace. Forget about all those things. Next Sunday. So I'm asking when we're talking about grace, freely given and freely received, are we remembering what Christ has done for us?
If I hold a grudge, if I beat, if I allow the anger, if I curse when I'm cursed, I'm not remembering him, am I? I'm not remembering what he has done for me. I'm not remembering the gift that he has given to me. I'm like Pharaoh's cupbearer. Short-term memory loss. So as we come here this morning, we are coming before the Lord. And the reason that we're here today is because Jesus died for us. And we are going to participate in communion today in remembrance of that fact. God's grace freely given to us while we were yet enemies. And through receiving that grace, we become not just friends, part of them. Sons and daughters of God for Jesus Christ. Because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. After supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Each of you drink of this cup. This cup is a cup of forgiveness, a cup of salvation. It's a new covenant in the blood of Christ Jesus. And we proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes again. So liturgical churches call this the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving. It's taken from the words of Jesus. He took up the bread and he gave thanks. Picked up the cup and he gave thanks. So we participate today in giving thanks for grace received through his name. Will those serving communion please come forward?